You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for setting me up so well, Scott. That was awesome. Love that. Where is Scott? He's probably playing a game somewhere. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll get going. Father, thanks for your goodness and just the grace to us to be able to gather among brothers and sisters and neighbors and strangers. I know that we all come here in different places with different stuff, our different perspective of what our greatest problems and needs are. Today, would you let us see that our greatest problem and our greatest need is that, that we're far from you, but by your grace, you draw us near. Thank you for your word, for these words that we've gotten to sing already. God, would you give us joy? Um, would you come against who we are in, in, in ourself, and would you make us new? We ask by your spirit that you would shine bright your word today. You would let us see you and all your glory. You would let us see us, how we fail, and you would let us trust Jesus to bridge the gap between the two. In Jesus' name, amen. What is your biggest problem? Let's think about that just for one second. Biggest problem. Anybody want to? I'm just kidding. Uh, is it the same uh, that it might be a week from now? Do you think it would be the, the same thing? It's funny how problems uh, kind of appear and disappear, but in the moment, they're like the biggest deal. Like when I was uh, 10 years old, I was, I was getting ready to go to Canada with my friend and his family and, and another friend. And when we were shooting basketball the night before, I'd never gotten uh, poison ivy in my whole life. Uh, even though I like was in the woods a lot and and shooting basketball the night before, chased a ball into the weeds. You know, three days later in Canada, um, my face was like swelled. You know, I, I could barely see out of my right eye. My whole body was covered in poison something, and and we we're in Canada in the wilderness trying to figure out how to make that better. And this is the honest to goodness truth. If you said I will give you one million dollars. Or I can make your poison ivy stuff go away. I would have been like, you can keep your money, right? You know, four days later, I would have probably taken the million dollars, you know? Uh, but that's just the nature of things. Uh, some problems, they're, they're, they're kind of just human problems, and they may ebb and flow or, or swell and recess, but, but they're kind of always there. Like, like ask someone the same question in, in Japan or Canada uh, somebody from a hundred years ago or, or, or a thousand years from now, and my guess is you're going to get along the lines of the same issues, that they're going to be comfort issues or financial issues or health issues or relationship issues. And sure, like, those are in context, and so they might look different, but, but at the end of the day, it's all the same stuff that, that we uh, kind of consider to be uh, the biggest issues in our life, and so many of them are just vapor. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. But, but I have a secret. Uh, I, I know what 
our biggest problem is. I know what your biggest problem is, whether you know it or not. There is one problem that really is humanity's biggest throughout all time, every wind, everywhere. It's your biggest problem in this very moment right here today in Hamilton, Ohio. It, it is your biggest problem, and, and for many, it will be your greatest problem all the way through to future eternity. And there's one solution to this problem. Humanity's absolute greatest problem is that we are, we are separated from God. And there are lots of things that come into my life that make me think that I have, I have bigger problems. Our biggest problem is that we are, are separated from God, and apart from Him, we are without hope to, to be mended back into relationship with Him. And I don't mean that there's distance between me and God or you and God, and that, that might be true, but, but we know that God is, is everywhere. What I mean is that there is uh, a broken relationship between God and us. All right? there, there is, uh, it's not just spatial, but it's relational, that we have a severed relationship between God and us. We are born in sin. This is like the foundations of Christian life. We are born in sin, and that sin separates us from God. And some of you, you might not even know that. And some of you might forget, or some of us might forget that. This is true for all of us, that we are separated from God by our sin unless we are, by God's grace, brought back together with Him through faith. And what Paul calls this, this mending, there's a gap there and it's brought back together. Paul calls this uh, reconciliation. And you hear that like when you're talking about uh, divorce in our culture, ah, you know, we're trying to get reconciled, all right? Or, or you hear this when there's like a problem, we're trying to like reconcile the, the different perspectives. Like what it means, it's a coming back together. All the other problems that, that we deal with in this life, our bank account, other broken relationships, our living situation, uh, man, a prison sentence, whether you're hired or fired, whether you're fed or you're hungry, whether you are alive or dead in this life, all of those things pale in comparison to this problem. Are you separated from God? So Paul, he yearns for his friends at Corinth. He's writing a letter to the Corinthians. He yearns for them. And, and I think in mind, he yearns for all of creation and, and certainly us today to be one with God. And the only way we get to do that is through Jesus. So we're going to start this. This text is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 21. We're going to start at the very end of it, like the second half of 20. And, and 21, but man, have your Bible open so you can be reading. Like, if you're going to drift off when I'm talking, just drift into your Bible and read that, all right? Um, so this is what it says at the very end of this little section. It says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. And like that is just full of all kinds of theological implications and relational impact between God and us that, that we're separated. And Paul's saying, I implore you, I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. Be brought back near. Be mended in your relationship with God. And he doesn't say that you do that by, by uh, writing checks or by doing all the good things. What he says is, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. 
So Jesus, he, he did not have any sin in him. He, he never committed rebellion against God. But, but for our sake, God made him, Jesus, uh, who knew no sin, to be sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God, so that we might be brought back together. So the emphasis is, is a call to, to choose to be near to God through Christ. And so, what are the foundations that this kind of reconciliation is built upon? A couple. I'm just going to go through a few things real fast. One, it's this. Uh, we are indeed separated. And for, for many, this is the, the first stumbling block. That, that we might think that, that God is love, therefore He loves everyone in spite of who we are, what we do, what we think about Him, whether or not we consider Him at all. And so you say, ah, Maybe God is, but, but he's loving, right? God is love, that's what they say. And so he loves me, but, but God also says, because of his love, that, that he, he cannot tolerate brokenness apart from him. And what breaks us is us, our sin. So we are indeed separated from God. And the second thing is that our separation is on the basis of, of us being lawbreakers. We break God's law. We live in ways that, that he does not uh, uh, desire for us to live. We break creation. We break the created order. We rebel against him. We live as if, we live as if he, he does not uh, exist, or we live as if he doesn't know best. And so we are separated from him on the basis that we're lawbreakers. We miss the mark of God's holiness, and we sin against him. Uh, the third thing that is kind of the foundation of this reconciliation is that our only hope to be restored back to God is through God's provision and rescue. And you might think that it's, it's through the work of your own hands, or it's through self-discovery, or anything that you can put your mind or your hands on, and it's, it's not. The only way for us to be brought back to God is through God's provision and God's rescue. And we see that for our sake, He did the only thing that could be done to bring us back to Him. And the last thing we see, whether we find ourselves restored to God or separated from God, it changes how we interact with everyone else. So this is what Paul's getting at. And kind of the big idea that, that we're looking to us changes how we relate to others. Or if there, were, if there was like a, a second title, it would be be reconciled to God and live reconciled to others. So, so we get to be reconciled to God, and when we are reconciled to God through Christ, we are changed. So that's what this is getting at. And there are five things, all right? Gulp. Not three points today, folks. Five things. It's crazy. I'm feeling crazy today. Five things that a person reconciled to God is or does, and the first one is this. So we're going to like peel back and jump all around in this text. Uh, the first one is a person reconciled to God is controlled by Christ's love. We see it in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. All kinds of stuff in that. The penalty for sin is death, and what we see is that this one Jesus, he died for all. What, what it's building at is this exchange that, that Jesus died in our place to give us his life. So specifically, this is Christ's love for us, not just our love for him, which is really important to consider. There's this common Christian perspective 
which kind of blooms out of a zeal for God uh, that says that, that our life in Christ is about what we do for him. And so we say things like this, like, hey, you're a Christian, what's that about? And we, we would be like, uh, well, it means that I, I live my life to serve God. All right, that's really good. Like, we should do that. Or you say, uh, I live my life as a sacrifice to the Lord. That's really good. Or you say, uh, what, what is your life um, built upon, your, your life in God built upon? I, I just love him with everything that I have, with all of my heart, mind, energy, strength, all of it. And all those things are true. But what we forget is that our life in Christ is, is merely a response to his offerings to us. So, so we always have to begin with what he has done first. Then we, uh, we, we kind of reflect that back. So the love of Christ controls us. That's what he tells us. He says, if we're, we're reconciled, then, then we are controlled by Christ's love. And that word control, in some translations, might say it constrains us. And for some of you, that might freak you out because you're like, hey, I will be constrained by nothing, right? But this is a, this is a good kind of constraint. Uh, the, the actual word means that we're hemmed in. We're hemmed in by Christ's love for us. Uh, so, so one said it like, I'm on a road on which I can't veer left or right, nor can I retreat backwards. I'm pushed forward by the transforming power of knowing that Jesus loves me. And not only does he love me, but he likes me. Which for me is like, a big add-on, because I'm like, I know, he, I know God loves me, but like, I don't think he likes me very much. Like, I know my wife loves me most of the time, but like, sometimes, like, I'm not sure that she likes me, you know? But like, knowing that, that God not only loves me, but, but he likes me, this, this, is a, this is a huge win. And so, if you've ever been bowling, uh, you, you probably uh, have seen like the bumpers there. Uh, if you've ever been to a, a bowling alley and seen the, the bumpers, this is the, the image that I get. Like, you you can't swerve into the gutter. Like you can bump off the bumper and it, and it kind of puts you back on the path. And so the ball presses forward and it makes progress. It's going to knock down pins no matter what. Like we are hemmed in by the love of God and it propels us forward. So when we are aware of God's reconciling love through Christ, we are, we are as the Bible says in other places, held captive by his love. It is his love that protects us. It is his love that pushes us forward. It, it straightens us where we are crooked. It, it corrects us where we miss. It succeeds where we fail. And here's the thing. Many people think that, that it's the law of God that does that. Like, ah, stop, ah, stop. But it's, it's not. Because the law of God can't change who we are. It can only tell us where we're in need. And so what Paul is saying, it, it is the love of Christ that transforms us from the inside out. And that, that changes uh, when we see God's love for us, then it, then it stirs our hearts to want to love him back. So in, in 1 John we see this kind of all come together. All right, R Remember this, this portion of this text comes just after uh, a warning that he gives. And it's, it's a judgment 
uh, and, and it says that, that you're going to be judged by Christ. This is what we looked at last week. According to the activity of our lives. And then we see in this, in, in verse 11, we see, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade. And so, so he's, he's drawing together this judgment and fear. Um, to fear God is to treat Him reverently. All right? Uh, and, and, and knowing our life is in His hands and trusting that His ways are the best ways, knowing that He's God and that we're not. So what we see when we add all this stuff together is that the love of Christ to us, it transforms us in the way that we view God. And so in, in 1 John chapter 4, we see this that, that helps a ton. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So we're to fear God, Right, and and that starts off by by legitimate fear. He's going to judge us for our rebellion against him, but but that perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So what we get to do is we get to have a healthy reverence for God. Sure, but but we no longer have to fear his punishment. That's not what guides us. What guides us now is the love that he has for us. So we may be controlled by many things, and, and uh, many, if not most, people in our context are controlled by others, fear, comparison, hostility. Uh, a person reconciled to God is changed, and so what that means is that our core compass for guiding our life is boiled down to one thing, the love of Christ. And everything else flows from that. I am loved by God, and, and I just want you to think for just one second, like, if you, could, if you could believe this true morning, noon, and night, that you're loved by God. That the creator of the universe, perfection in every way, sent his son to lay down his life so that he might be brought near to you. So there's no more bitterness, no more jealousy, no more void that the love of Christ could not would not overcome. The second thing that we see from a person reconciled to God is that they no longer live for self. <clears throat> Selfishness is the result of, of living as if we matter most. Right? That, that's, what, that's what it means to be selfish. We live as if we matter most. And so what that means is we push others away or down. It's, it's what parents continually attempt to wring out of their children. Like, it's, it's, it's morning, noon, and night. What you're trying to convince your kids is that you, like, this is like that. You are not the center of the universe. Okay, Dad, right? Things that you swear that you would never say, and then you say it, and you're like, dang it, got me again. You're not the center of the universe. I never said I was. Yeah, but your actions did. Your actions said that you said that. So what now, all right? So, so that's what parents try to do. They try to wring out of their children that, that they're not the center of the universe. But, but the problem is that it's also almost uh, instinctively built into our thinking and being. Like in, in especially modern American culture, uh, to look out for number one is our first objective in this life. You don't have to be taught to do that. When you're two years old, you're thinking, what's best for me? That's what you're thinking. Um, and this has uh, everything to do 
with, with Isaac Newton, uh, with reconciliation, with Christ's love for us. And here's the deal. Uh, Newton's first law of, of kind of motion in physics says this, an object at rest stays at rest. And an object in motion stays in motion unless acted upon by an external, unbalanced force. Real simple. Something's going in one direction, it's going to keep doing that until it's convinced not to by something else. So your life, our life, like a train from birth, is, is hurling towards self as the end game. I'm number one, I matter most. So, so here's the question, what is the unbalanced force um, that, that redirects the, the whirling speed and direction of self-centered living? What is that uh, external unbalanced force? Well, Paul tells us what it is in verse 15. He says this, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The law can, can never get us to a place to where we believe that we're no longer the center of the universe. This love can. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. He was died and he raised so that we might lay down our lives and be raised with him in new life. So, so the law can't give you a new heart, but the spirit can. And he does so by showing you Christ's love. Christ's love for us, even while we had love only for ourselves. So this reconciling love says, come near to me, Come near to me. God takes the first step in, in bridging the gap between the brokenness that our sin created. He says, come near to me. And, and you might say to yourself, uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to. Or we might say, God, you wouldn't. You know what God says? He says, child, please. Here's the thing. I, I knew you before your grandparents were born. I, I know you right now in this moment infinitely better than you know you. Not only do I know how your body is put together and all the processes and all the cells and all the stuff going in j just for you sitting and breathing and, and, and blood pumping through your body and you just being, I, I know all of that infinitely better than you ever will, but I also know why you do what you do. I also know how your emotions work and all of those things. I know you better than you will ever know you, and I still love you. So he says, come near to me. If you just understand that, that Jesus laid his life down for us to bring us near to God. That's God's first step in bridging us and, and all we have to do is trust that to be true. And what a love like that does is it wrings the self out of our hearts and, and it injects into our hearts uh, a reflective love that, that bounces back. Um, years ago, I, I heard uh, an analogy of, of just the sun and the moon and, and how, you know, like we have. 
reflective responsibility. And, and, and in light of this, uh, the moon's surface is, is dark, and there's no light in it. But when the, when the sun shines on the surface of the moon, it reflects back. And, and that's, that's all we're doing we're just like the, the surface of the moon, and unless we're lit up by Christ's love, then we can reflect nothing. But once we are, we reflect that back to God and to all who might see. So the nature of, of Christ's death is that he died for us, and the purpose of Christ him. When that love is present in the forefront of my mind, it shapes me to love him it shapes me to live for His glory. It shapes me to, to seek His voice and to follow His voice as primary influencer of my emotions, of my actions, and of my life. So a person reconciled to God is, is controlled by Christ's love. A person reconciled to God is, uh, no longer lives for self. A person reconciled to God does not judge by appearance. So he tells us as we read on in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So this, this saying, according to the flesh, it, it means like uh, what, what you think it might mean. Like we no longer judge by the world's standards. And so we're, we're no longer judging by, by race or socioeconomic uh, position, education, political affiliation, title, gender, and all of, th- of those things. Those things matter, but it, but it means we're no longer judging by those things. And so the question is, do you think yourself greater than your neighbor? Do you? Do you think yourself greater or lesser than your neighbor? Do you think yourself greater or lesser because you see someone wearing a, a, a shirt that's, that's tucked in? And then you, you put all kinds of, of uh, a assumption into the life that they live or do you see somebody wearing a shirt that that's got holes in it and, and it's and it's dirty it looks quite different than yours are you better or worse than them what about if you see somebody with a phd you assign judgment well, what about uh, a ged do you assign judgment what what if you see somebody that's from a large family what if you see somebody that's from from no family do you consider yourself better in their yard having a, a United States of American flag? Or, or what about this? What if you have somebody and you pass their house and they have an Iraqi flag? What things happen in your brain, in your heart? What about if, if you see somebody wearing a, a Trump hat? What's that do to you? Or what if you see somebody wearing, wearing no hat or no political affiliation? What we see on the outside is not the primary determination of who we are. And, and the only thing of importance to Paul is whether one is in Christ or not. So he says of Jesus, we once regarded him uh, by, by externals, but we don't do that anymore. What, what is he talking about? Well, I, I, I don't know, and, and many people don't know. Kinda, it could go two ways, I think. One, uh, you're, hold on, dude was a carpenter, uh, and you're telling me now that he's... He's, okay, he's, he's brought the sin of humankind onto himself, and he, and he died with it, and he took it to the grave, and then he busted out, and now he lives. Okay, so you tell me that the carpenter down the block was actually the, the son of God. Uh, okay, all right, we once regarded him as like he's not that big of a deal, or on the other side of things. Paul might be saying, so, so the dude that when, when he showed up, 
He showed up talking, uh, this wasn't really true, but uh, he showed up and, and everything that we knew to be true in the first two-thirds of our Bible, right, the Old Testament, he shows up and it's like he's, he's saying that that wasn't good enough. That's, that's exactly what happened. And Paul said, so you, you know what we did? Gosh, we killed him. But, but guess what? We, we got that wrong on both accounts. He, he, was, he was just a carpenter. And he also came telling us some things that, that were different God in the flesh. And so he's saying, we used to do that with Jesus, and, and that didn't work out uh, so well. And so look, we, we should not live our lives in such a way that, that emphasizes the, the ex, external. Um, it's commonplace for us. We look at people different than us, and we make judgment. That, that's, that, again, that's what we do from, from the time we're little. And so some grow past that, and, and some don't. Uh, those reconciled to God, what Paul says is, is you ought not do that. Like, you should not live your life in such a way. And then the second thing is, is we are motivated and empowered to no longer live that way. And so if you look at all of this, we see Christ's reconciling work at our expense. When we really get that, when we really understand his love for us in spite of us, that is the ultimate equalizer for human dignity. So the way that you see everyone else is not a matter of, are they better or, or are they worse? Are they better or are they worse? Are they richer or are they poorer? Are they more or are they less? Like, we don't have to live life like that. You don't have to, you don't have to go through middle school again. No disrespect, if you're in middle school, that is tough. Not playing. It doesn't get any better. It's not good. It's not good when people do that to us. And what Paul's saying is, we shouldn't do that to people either. But here's the thing. That seems a bit out of place. (laughs) He's been writing this letter, and he's talking about suffering. He's talking about these other people and all kinds of stuff, and then he's just like, Hey, stop judging according to appearance. It seems a bit out of place, and I, I say it, it absolutely does. But, but the truth remains, don't judge by outward appearance, but the intent takes shape when we, when we look, at verse, look at verse 11 and 12. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So, so Paul is still suffering in defense. He's still defending who he is in the gospel. He's still suffering uh, at the hands of those influencers, influencers who have crept into the heart, into the ear, into the Instagram feeds of, of the, the Corinthians, right? They look like big deals is what Paul's saying. Externally, th- they really do look like big deals, but, but we aren't what we look like on the outside. We are who we are on the inside. And the way that we know we, uh, who we are on the inside is, is by these things. And so what he says is he contrasts the external motivation versus a heart motivation. A disciple of Jesus that motiv- that's motivated by, by who he is on the inside, by what Christ has done, 
versus these externals. What are those externals? Well, here are a few. Uh, are they controlled by the, by the love of Christ? Well, here's another one. Uh, well, no, are they controlled by the love of Christ, not by public appeal, not by the poll numbers, not by the number of followers and likes they have? Here's another one. Do we no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ? Well, here's another one. Do we judge according to appearance? So this is the context in which Paul is saying all of these things. For those who are reconciled, you're going to look like this. And here's what that's going to do. It's going to validate legitimately that you are a heart motivated by the gospel and not by superficial things in this life. And so Paul's saying, look, are, are we done having to defend myself against these things? And, and then he goes on. Are we a new creation? And this is the fourth thing. A person reconciled to God is a new creation. Look, you guys are probably better counselors than you give, your credit, give yourself credit for. Uh, when somebody says, man, I, I need like, I need some counsel. Many of you might say, oh, uh, like, did you call Michael? Uh, you hit Scott up? You talk to Matt? Or, or hey, did you talk to your community group leader? Because I, I ain't no counselor, right? And, and that's all fair, right? I totally get it. But, but here's the reality of, of what, what counseling is in Christ, and there's a lot more to it, all right? I'm not oversimplifying this, but I'm going to oversimplify it. Um, it. Part of the perpetual counsel and encouragement of a life in Christ is, is to remind one another of this truth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the connection is, is by the death of Jesus, he was buried with your sin he was dead, dead. And when he came back to life, he brought you new life. So, we can all say that to our brothers and sisters who are, are struggling with anything. At one point in my journey with God, and I would say it was largely built on um, false theology that I believe to be true about God and about, about people in light of, of who God is. At one point, I would have considered this a warning and a charge. And this is how it would have showed up. Uh, friend uh, confesses sin, or, or somehow I find out about it. Dude, like, you're a new creation. You can't be living like that says, right? And so, so it would have been a warning and a charge, like, you better straighten up because... Because you're a new creation, so get it right. But as, as grace has, has gripped my heart and my mind, man, th th this is not external, do get it right, but it's, bro, remember who you are and live free. It does to us. This is not, this is not handcuffs. The old man's dead, the, the new has come. This is, that's not who you are anymore. It's, it's just a reminder. Don't you remember that when you trusted Jesus to forgive you of your sin, he took your sin away? Don't you remember that? This is not who you are anymore, so you don't have to live out of that. One says it this way, the new birth or being born again 
does not mean merely the mending of one's ways, the changing of bad habits, embracing a new list of do's and don'ts. If, if you think that a life in Christ, if you think that being a Christian is like, ah, can't do that now. Ah, I have to do that now. Like you're, you're selling it a, a lot short. It, it is not just a, a new list of do's and don'ts. It refers to a radical, pervasive spirit recreation of the inner being. Uh, what, what that means is, is we're like uh, spiritually mutated from the inside out with new desires, with new ambition, uh, with a new leader and a, and a new king. And our heart beats to the beat of, of a different drum. You're not just like buffed and polished. You're not cleaned up a little bit and sprayed with some Clorox. Brand new from the inside out. And what Paul's saying is, is for someone who's reconciled to God, you're, you're a new creation. You live differently. Sam Storm, I'm, I'm going to say this, this statement at the end of this that's really confusing, but it's just so good. So uh, I'm going to say it, and hopefully you'll understand it. Uh, Paul's language here of a new creation is an allusion to the new heaven and the new earth. He, he's pointing towards the future uh, by saying that the way that we live now points towards the future. Simply put, um, the glory of the age to come has broken into the present, right? This is Sam Storms, and this is what he says. Simply put, and then he says this right after it. We are reborn microcosms of an eschatological macrocosm. Like, oh, Sam, killing it. Thanks for the simplicity, right? So, so we are reborn microcosms. The word eschatological means all the stuff that's yet to unfold, like we read about in Revelation in the Bible. So it's future stuff. We are a reborn microcosm of an eschatological macrocosm. Or, or uh, as, as new creations, we are small glimpses into future forever, in full for all who are reconciled to God. That's, that's the way that we get to live our lives. And if that be true, then we get to the last thing, then we are sent to reflect the ministry of reconciliation. Because we are reconciled, all of these things are true, and the last thing that Paul tells us is then we get to reflect that ministry to others. It goes full circle. This is the crux. Understanding how God relates to us changes how we relate to everyone else. So we read in verse 18, all this is from God who through us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul is sent as, as God of the new covenant in Jesus to announce God's peace treaty with those who will trust in Christ to free them from the penalty and the power of sin. Paul's the only one that describes it in this language in the New Testament. Be reconciled to God. That's Paul's way of, of declaring 
the, the gospel, the, the news that God has solved our greatest problem. In Christ, we are brought back together with God. And, and not only that, but he initiates relational healing to the undeserving, that's us. And, and he sends us out to live in such a way to do just the same so that we might preach the same news. So, so the plan to let people know the news of the biggest problem that, that has and, and will ever be a, a part of the, the human culture, that we're separated from, from God, the plan to let people know, he sends representatives, ambassadors, to make that appeal. And you think, wow, gosh, what a job. Ambassador of Christ, man, they must be incredible, those people. I'm sure they get sweet uniforms with, with patches on the arms and nice buttons, right? I'm sure they get clearance to like all, all the stuff behind the scenes. It's us. It's me, of reconciliation, pointing people to the, to the, uh, the single biggest healing, to the single biggest problem, and we get to live in such a way. Well, well, how do we live by the way that we are controlled by Christ's love? By the way that we no longer live for ourselves? By the way that we don't judge according to the appearance? By the way that we live as new creation? By the way that we live as uh, ambassadors of reconciliation? Well, well, how do we do that? How do we interact with others in a way that, that puts this on display? And I could probably give you 15 things, but, but I'm not going to do that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. We have all of God's word. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the beauty of this church gathered together to help us figure it out. Look, I know you have broken relationships. And, it, and if you don't, you will have broken relationships. And for some, they're deep and they're, they're, they're tumultuous and, and they're, 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 they, they shape the way that you are now based on something that happened decades ago. And for others, it's just like that guy at work just drives me nuts. Like, I, I understand. The, the guys that I work, I'm, I'm kidding. There's so much to figure out. I, I can't give you all the answers, but, but this is what I know. When we, when we gaze at the way God interacts with us, when our hearts are gripped by it, when we see all of these things that Paul talked about, today. When we start there, it's going to change the way that you interact with everyone else. So a couple things to help us reflect. Two questions. Have you been reconciled to God by grace through faith alone and Christ alone? Today you can have the solution, not that every, you probably have it tomorrow, right? If you're flat broke today, you, you might be flat broke tomorrow. But those things, those things will go away. And as Paul's already told us, that, that light momentary affliction, gosh, and, and we always say in 10,000 But But this, this stays. Today, you can be reconciled to God. And all you have to do is say, I'm, I'm broken, sinner, separated from God because of what I have done. God, I don't get it, but I want your love for me. I see the way that you showed your love for me in Jesus. I want to be a part of your life. That's all you have to do today. 
So you can do that when, when we, when we re- respond, when we stand, sing, tell somebody, fill out a connect card, let someone know if that's you today. And the second thing is, is if so, has that love and grace found its way to your heart so that it shapes the way that you forgive, the way that you give benefit of doubt, the way you walk out grace, the way you interact with love and live as an ambassador of God's great news. I'm going to respond by praying today, trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of sins or or casting all of our care upon him. We would love to pray with you. You can pray right where you are. You can stand up. There's a prayer bench over there. There's a couple red trees around where there will be a few people that would love to bear your burden in prayer. You can take a next step towards the family and the mission. Fill out a connect card. Begin to serve. Give. Put any of those things in the the black boxes and you can, can respond by remembering and declaring Christ's love by His body broken and his blood spilled. This is for those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, those things are not for you, but we are. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks that you use your word to show us where we're broken. And today, would you just let us, let us know that we're, we're far from you apart from Jesus. When we trust Jesus, there is no gap. You have only love for us that cares for us, that redirects us. God, would you let us walk free of, of condemning guilt? You let us be forgiven by the offering of your Son? Will you let that shape the way that we interact with others. God, we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.